Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's right, boo. Boo. <laughs> Welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kaveh Hoda. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> Today, we're going to be doing our annual Halloween episode here on what I, I should call it the Haunted House of Pod because this is going to be a spooky episode. <laughs> it's going to be like a minor key version of, of like, and I'm alive and I'm sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you're the musician, uh, so I will count you on you to do that. And let me introduce you while I'm at it. Mark Gasway, musician, friend, welcome back to the show. I'm going to be completely, utterly mortified at myself when I listen to that. <laughs> go on, let's go. I'm not cutting that. Also joining us. Oh, Dr. Steven Sample, it's been so long since you've been here, buddy. What up? I know, you've been avoiding me. It's good to be back. I think I've invited you multiple times, and I think you have been the, the problem here. Because I'm working all the freaking time. That's probably true. You are a hard-working yeah. ER doctor. Where again? I work in Jasper, Indiana, in the armpit of the United States. Yeah, you right. remember how much trouble Steve Martin got in when he called right there. Terre Haute the armpit of the United States? Oh, he did, and, and I'm only about uh, 45 minutes from Terre Haute where I yeah. was. <laughs> so, yeah. Where I was born, by the way, Mark. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. I know that. I'm a Hoosier. I'm a Hoosier. Um, also joining us, oh, oh, how exciting this is, Dr. Tyler Black, psychiatrist, suicide specialist. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. Thank you for having me again. Can I call you Tyler? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're all here. Today, the theme is going to be 
horror films, which we've talked about, but we're going to talk about horror films that have a heavy uh, psychiatric theme or are set in a psychiatric ward. Now, this is a very common theme in, in movies, not just horror films, but themes in movies in general. I actually looked at a Wikipedia page, someone when I put this on Twitter requesting films, lots of advice, lots of ideas for, for uh, movies came in and someone put a link to a Wikipedia page just based on hospital ward based movies. And there was like well over 200. Let, let me just start with the very basics. Tyler, why do you think it's so, why do you think that's something that Hollywood has grasped on so much? What is it about psychiatric wards that, that interest people so much? I think it sort of ties back to sort of early, early views of mental illness that were seen um, sort of like possessions or like, like spiritual conflicts or those types of things. So there's always been like a haunting element to uh, asylums and those types of things. Of course, even in the 1800s or 1900s, people working in the asylums didn't feel like they were working with haunted people. But of course, uh, I can, you know, as you can imagine, like the common view of it was the, you know, this is a dangerous place to be. I think it also because psychiatric wards often are locked and confined. And that's a really great way to create tension in a movie is to make people in a confined space. Um, uh, and unfortunately, I think the tropes of psychiatric staff being sort of like evil and coercive is like another thing you have to have like a mastermind and you have so you have these confined people there so you know some of it is tropes some of it is um uh you know some of it is is sort of the stigma of mental illness and then some of it is is just you know how the public has for you know millennia seen seen mental illness which is you know a spiritual conflict or a conflict of good and evil within a person mm -hmm. or those types of mm -hmm. things you mm -hmm. know have you ever seen a movie where you're like, that's actually a pretty accurate yeah. depiction of a psychiatric well, ward? One of them we're going to talk about that I thought did it really well was Smile. Um, it, 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 so so it's one of our movies. Um, so I thought they did it quite well. Uh, not because, I mean, the story isn't realistic in terms of what happens, but what? In the way that people around them, around the person who was struggling, treated them. Like they were all being relatively pretty reasonable with her. They were trying their hardest to understand from her point of view, but didn't. So I think that one does it well. I think it's so much easier for me to, it's so hard to watch a, a movie with a psych ward in it and not just pick it apart to death. Just so I, I, yeah, I just, I, I imagine it's but, really hard to say. I'll say <clears throat> Goodwill Hunting is my favorite portrayal of a psychiatrist. Um, <laughs> like, I think that's a really good, good one. Um, but uh, was he a psychiatrist or was he a therapist? Oh, therapist, because yeah. this is a recurrent issue I have with these movies. They really use like yeah, yeah. doctor loosely, yeah. and it, and it's never clear to me if it's a psychiatrist or a therapist, if it's a medical doctor or some other form of of therapist. Okay, so you mentioned Smile. We're also going to be talking about Shutter Island and a movie called The Ward. Now, let me just ask you guys, Mark, Stephen. Where do psychological horror films, where do these sorts of horror films rank in your pantheon of horror films? And uh, actually, I'm sorry, before you answer that, let me also state to our listeners, there are going to be massive spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't watched, <laughs> yeah. if you haven't watched Shutter Island by now, I'm sorry, it came out in 2010. I don't feel that bad about it. It's going to get spoiled. If you haven't watched Smile, that's one. Maybe it's kind of recent that you may want to watch before you watch this. If you haven't watched the word for this episode, I can't say for you to do it, 
We'll get to that. <laughs> Nor can I. <laughs> we'll get to that. Trying to complete your John Carpenter collection. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to complete your John Carpenter viewing, there will be spoilers. But anyways, so sorry. Getting back to the question I have for you two. Where do these types of horror films rank in your pantheon of horror films? And I should also mention Mark is a horror blog writer. He has a blog about horror films. It's very entertaining. We're going to plug that for sure before we leave the show. So let me let me ask you guys where, where these rank for you. Um, I'll go. So The Ward, I thought, um, I watched that today for the first time. Um, it was, I felt kitschy and campy, and it reminded me of like kind of a formulaic 80s type horror movie. Uh, though I will admit that I was uh, a little, I was not expecting the twist. I think I was half paying attention. And when the twist came, I went, oh, that's okay. Should I spoil it? Wait, 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 wait for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait. So there's a twist that I was not catching. And then it, it became a little better to me in retrospect, just because I was trying to think about it. And kind of the same goes for Shutter Island, because this was my second viewing. Um, and so I had some inside knowledge on it. And so in retrospect, it was actually way better the second time that I watched it, even knowing it, because the first time I think I missed a lot. I was, you're allowed to not pay attention the first time, but when yeah. you know what what's happening the second time, but you know, from, I'm a Gen X kid. I grew up in the eighties and nineties. So for me, my, my horror movies will always be the Friday, the 13th series, the nightmare on Elm street series, mm -hmm. um, especially the first few or the first 12, uh, yeah, Friday, the 13th, uh, the ward I thought was just, uh, I'll forget about it. Uh, I understand why Johnny Depp, uh, decided to let Amber Heard, um, uh, come into his life. She was smoking hot in 2011 she's still a beautiful woman now uh but uh that's about all i can recommend so slasher for. slasher films are kind of like your major that's I, I like those yeah, yeah i like those and then and then you switch over and shutter island you know when i watched it i was like oh this is a terrible movie for, a terrible movie for this list because yeah. i found shutter island on second viewing to be just a profoundly sad movie yeah. Um, and a, a yeah. kind of a deep introspection on grief and trauma. Right, and right. I, it, it really didn't feel a lot like Halloween to me. The other sure. two on both sides, though, Smile and Shutter, or, and uh, The Ward definitely were. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if it fits as a horror film. Um, there are yeah. scary components to it, but it's not really sure. a horror film. Mark, what about you? I chase quality. You know, I don't, I try not to be a snob when it comes to uh, genre. Uh, I, I think I I look at every film as an opportunity to communicate. And if you do a good job of communicating what your idea is, then it's a good movie. And if you don't do a good job, then it's not a good movie. Uh, What's your favorite horror film? Oh, wow. <laughs> Can I guess? I'd be interested what your guess is, but I've seen a lot and I've got a lot well, of different categories. And no, stuff. I know. I know, but... I, my, my thought is it has to be something deeply weird and like Lovecraftian for you to like really enjoy it. It has to be like, there's something about Lovecraft based stories that creep me the fuck out. And I don't know what it is. It's like this despair, this really cynical, dark view of humanity as just basically flesh. It's just something oh. about that's so troubling to me. It, Are you talking I, about Hellraiser? Like a hell, a Clive Barker. Hellraiser, I yeah. loved Hellraiser. Yeah, it was that, a lot to the to the Lovecraft mythos for sure. 
So what do, what do you think? If you had to, if I had to pin you down on one, you can change your mind later. It's fine. It's it's funny. I'm I'm experiencing right now uh, something that the post Gen Xers will not have as much experience with, which is like video store anxiety. Which is like I'm confronted with all of these volumes that I could choose from, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, what was the one that I always say I want to, you know, uh, whatever. But lacking another thing, it's funny because I'm not the world's biggest Zack Snyder fan, but I would say that the the horror movie that I have the most to say about is probably the Zack mm. Snyder version of dawn of the dead yeah which is a movie that i and i actually think it's fairly like illustrative of of my perspectives on movies in general because i went into it thinking oh this is gonna suck you know because the original movie was like such a like you know uh there was so much subtext to it you know it was so state-of-the-art for the time you know there was so much to it and then i'm like oh this is just gonna be like a hackish modern remake and in the first 10 minutes I was like, this is freaking fantastic. It was pretty good. It's his best movie. Yeah, completely I mean, different kind of thing than than the original. Yeah. But it's just like quality is quality. Let's watch yeah. it. I am looking that up as soon as we hang up tonight. I had no idea that Zack Snyder made a Dawn of the Dead remake. It's quite it was too good. good. It was good. Is there a lot of slow mo? Is there a no. lot of slow mo and glistening sweat? No bullshit. No weird racist. Oh, there's very little slow mo to it whatsoever. It's quite yeah. a fast paced movie. It's very quick. It take it just starts and it goes. It's great. I just, that's a, that is a good movie. Tyler, let me ask you: yep. it, Is it possible to make a film about real psychological conditions? Because all these movies are about trauma. Really, at the the root of them, they're all about trauma. Is it possible to make a film about real psychological issues that is not in some way exploitative or promoting misconceptions about mental health? Has that has that happened? I think Smile kind of seems to do it for you, but is there is that is that the rare <sighs> film? It's so hard because the 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 tropes that that mental illness offer to writers are so alluring, like the dissociative identity at the end of it, or the you know whatever whatever the trope is, it's just so easy to do. Um, you know, my 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 specialty in research is in suicidology, and the number of times that suicide is like the punchline of a movie or like the the climax of a movie or the ending of a movie or the just, starting of a movie like or a starting of a movie. with someone you know, suicide and so um you know i think it, it it can be done really it can be done well i'm struggling right now to think of movies where i was like really really happy with it but i always think when when it, it's kind of like anything that can be tokenized when when you when you don't make the story about the presence of the thing, but you make the person who has the thing be in the story, I think that's 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 what you want. You, you don't you don't want the like the twist to be oh my god they had schizophrenia, but if you had a a person who has schizophrenia be a character in a a movie and they go through stuff, that's a better representation of it because right. of course the the challenge is is turning people into these caricatures. So I, I think it's it's. It takes such an advanced level of writing. And I, I don't like, I like horror movies. I've grown up with horror movies. I'm not as much a fan. You found out from my brother as, as I used to be. Mm -hmm. um, but um, they're not like the, the writing is, is it kind of goes, you're going for feelings more than really great writing and plots is the best way I could describe it. So, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. I actually used to be a lot more into horror films too, until I started to really get sort of just depressed by the horror of reality. <laughs> 
no, I'm all about I, I do comedies this, whenever possible. I do this weird thing now where I, my brother, who's re- still really into horror movies, he'll will go see one, and I like Smile was one, but the the one that I remember the most was Paranormal Activity, which mm-hmm. I I found really scary, and I thought the first one was really good, and but the whole time I would turn to my brother, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this? This is too stressful. Right. <laughs> um. So I just didn't enjoy it. I thought Paranormal Activity was one of the scariest movies that I have seen since The Exorcist, just because it was completely new. Um, and I I don't get scared much. I don't freak out. But uh, I thought Paranormal, Paranormal Activity was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that one, too. That was good. I mean, um, I have to say, I, I don't watch too many horror films anymore. And in fact, psychological horror films are my least favorite form of horror film and you know how you can tell is i didn't watch any of these movies that we're doing tonight until this episode and i mainlined them in one day (laughs) which probably did damage to my brain (laughs) it was too much for me but i watched three movies in one day so let's let's get to them let's cover them let's let me start by asking you guys objectively and i'm I'm pretty sure we're going to agree which of these movies was the best? Which of these movies was the worst? Oh, as a film, I mean, Shutter Island was ridiculous. I mean, what a, it, just the cast alone. Like, I, I don't recall from the first watch through, like, I mean, the cast was amazing, like top to bottom. Just these character yeah. actors that you've seen in a million things that I cannot name. Uh, but they were, it, that was just, that was actually cinema. Like, it was real cinema. I, yeah. I don't consider it a horror movie. Uh, for sure. I, I'd say Smile second and The War to Distant Third. Yeah, I think we all agree, agree with that, that right? Let, let's uh, let's start with uh, Smile. So, um, <clears throat> Mark, <clears throat> would you be... You're really good at this. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of times I just don't get to watch movies or like, and, and I don't I don't actually ever get around to it, so I'll just like call Mark and be like, Mark, can you just tell me about this movie? <laughs> you just tell me everything that happens <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> And he'll do it for me. And it works really great. So, Mark, would you be willing to do that right now for Smile just to give people an outline? And again, spoilers are going to come here, folks. So I actually did my best when I was uh, coming up with synopses of all three of these movies to to, to be as spoiler-free as possible. If you would like to uh, bring out more details beyond what I came up with, then feel free to ask. But what I have Smile is that... Uh, Smile follows a psych ward therapist named Rose Cotton. And at the beginning of the film, Rose meets with a freshly admitted patient. The patient is in a state of agitation, claiming that she's being followed by an evil presence that appears in the form of a normal person, sometimes somebody that she knows. And uh, the presence makes itself known with an unnatural and unnerving smile. The patient... Uh, flies into a full-blown panic when she looks over Rose's shoulder and sees the phantom in the room, though at this point it's invisible to Rose. After turning away to call security to help, Rose turns back to see the patient staring at her with an unnerving smile. And then the patient slits her own throat with a piece of broken glass. Over the next several days, Rose herself begins to see more and more frequently this same phantom appear just as the patient described it sometimes in the form of somebody that she recognized, always with an unnerving smile. She also learns that she and the patient are the two most recent in a series of incidents in which a subject begins to be haunted by the phantom after having witnessed the violent, smiling death of the previous subject. 
was very good. This is why you should read his blog, people. So <clears throat> a couple of questions right off the bat I had. <laughs> so this Dr. Cotter, it this character is Cotter. I think I think it's Cotter. It's Cotter, yeah. I because I, I read with sub I watched it with subtitles, that's why. Regardless, this this quote unquote doctor, it this is one of those issues I have. Is she a medical doctor? Because at one point the people refer to her as a doctor, but then and they're saying she works 80 hour work weeks, which by the way, we haven't done since residency. 80 hour work <laughs> oh, weeks. You're right, you're right. Dang it. So right, it was a great synopsis otherwise. And it, so we'll it, it it's we'll fix that in post if I get my editor back. So the I worked 80 hours last week, just FYI. Yeah, but are you gonna be off for like a week? And now five days. I had to pick up 70 hours this month. We're two doctors short. Don't, don't talk Christ. to me about it. Sorry, yeah. sorry, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> okay. It's hard work. No. So, so it, again, it's like, what is she? Is she a doctor? And then, the, and that's unclear because these movies never have a great answer for that. They want the person to be a doctor, but they want the, the person to be doing stuff that doctors don't really do, which is like, you know, more the therapy stuff. And then like, um, you, you, you nailed it. The, the first part, first real problem I had with it is she's having, this she's in a room with this patient. This patient's having a mental breakdown. She goes to the phone to like call, and while she's on the phone, she has her back completely turned to the yep. patient, not seeing what's going on. In, in like true like WWF like wrestling referee, like letting some chaos happen in the background that she doesn't catch. That's the first thing that kind of bothered me. And then she turns yeah. her back and she sees this horrific smile. But I have to say, I know I'm supposed to be scared, but the smile was so silly, and and, and it could be scary. It, I could see it being scary, but it also just reminded me of something that like one of my friends would do to creep me out. And it kind of made me happy in a way. It kind of made me like smile because I'm like, oh, I could totally see one of my friends in a dark alley doing that to me just to, to fuck with me. You know what I mean? So the 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 smile thing, I did it. it, it I don't know. It, I, it didn't terrify me the way I think it was supposed to. And that sort of like Pennywise the clown sort of the happy thing turns into an evil thing sort of way. What, what did you guys think? Oh, I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was like that. That was always the best. That was what that entire movie did best. I think was uh, with without and and without. You'll notice if you go through it. There's actually it's hard for me to think of any CGI that yeah. was injected into it. It was all just performance. Well, there was one scene where the sister walks out to the car and her head falls off. That might not have been CGI. It um, might have been practical. Mm, yeah, maybe. So, so famously, the the um the I think the the team that made it they they really did it as an homage to to the movies of the eighties and nineties. So they didn't they did, um, they did it all in practical effects. So sure. every everything done was a practical effect. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually think that this is something that I really you know just stepping back for a second that I really appreciate about modern horror. And now I'm back to the whole video anxiety thing where i'm now like thinking of a flood of contemporary movies that i think do this well you know like it follows or the babadook or whatever that yeah, it, right like, right we're making horror movies now we're the ones that were watching the crappy horror movies back you know yeah, right. early 80s and stuff like that and then they grew up and they went to film school and they learned good craft and they learned how yeah. to write and so yeah. they're good at 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 you know i don't know I, like for if you haven't seen smile this is a scene that i you know 
that I found immediately unnerving and they would come back to this particular touch point. It's just interesting to me how uh, a lot of really successful uh, horror movies these days can take things that seem really innocuous, like somebody smiling, or in the case of It Follows, somebody walking across a room and make those things seem really chill. I'm glad you bring up It Follows because to me, It Follows. And if you haven't uh, heard or seen this movie, Stephen, have you heard of this movie, It Follows? Heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Dude, I think think it is the best example of these types of movies. These ring-like curse goes from one person to the next person. Um, But the allegory there is less like mental health and more like, I don't know, STD. Yeah, it's like more like an STD. Like this curse gets passed to people through sex. And basically this... um, creature follows you and just is walking towards you at all times just in a straight line it's just a straight line and you can do whatever you want to get around but it eventually will keep it'll get to you and i thought that movie did that so well this movie owes a lot to it particularly what i thought was the creepiest part of it which is where the mom creature that's the scary part when she like comes through the doorways they did that like twice because that's the best scene and it follows just an actor, not computer graphics. It's just a yeah. really old, weird looking dude that they cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's great. That yeah, that that person was freaky as shit. That that yeah. part really that was the part that got me. They, and that, that came from it follows, I think. Um here's, here's the thing about like a you know, like a successful horror movie versus an unsuccessful horror movie is that when you're trying to make a horror movie, what you're trying to do is communicate an emotion the same way that you're trying to do it when you're making like a love story or comedy. It's just in this case, you're trying to express fear. And so uh the success of a movie like Smile is going to be like if you see some if you see this thing that you know is like a mortal threat and it's smiling at you. Can you use a smile by itself as a means of conveying a sense of malice? And yeah. that's what happens in this. Oh, flick. Yeah. Like yeah. Whenever you see the character pop up and it pops up repeatedly throughout the flick, you know, and, and all the time, what you're experiencing is just this thing that has an innate lack of respect for your life and, you know, and any mental well-being I yeah. about you. Yeah. And it's just sitting there with you know, I, I, it's malice. 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 The malice is communicated in the smile very effectively. I I wanted to point out the thing that I really liked about Smile that that I think I mentioned this even in our last Halloween spot, but I think I just brought out Smile spontaneously. But the way in which um, her partner um, tries to support her, but just really wants her to get her own psychiatric help was just it was so realistic. I'm I'm so tired of the. you know, the partner or the friend who's like, oh my God, you're haunted by a ghost. Let's go get the Ghostbusters and we'll go bust that ghost. He, he like he, her partner was like a, a, like a human being with, with no, no changed sensorium who's basically saying, you really need to get help. I really need to get you help. And, and didn't actually fall for the delusion at all. Just really worried for their partner. I thought that part was really cool because it was so frustrating from the protagonist's point of view. But I empathize so much from the the partner's point of view, who is like, I really need you to get help. This is not good. So I really like that. I like that. It does Jesse Usher from The Boys, by the way. That, <laughs> so that's a yeah. shout out to The Boys. But like, it, he also is interesting because he's also like, hey, look, I think it's fair for me to ask questions about what's going on here because we're about to get married and you want me to have kids. And I think this is a genetic thing that is happening here because your mom was crazy and now you seem to be going crazy and and so they that was interesting how they made that was realistic i think that is kind of how that would actually go 
That is probably how that conversation would go in most of the situations. Stephen, what do you think? I, I thought it was, I thought it was a good movie, but there's a lot of little things that took me out of it. I'll, 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 I'll tell you what I, what those little things were, but I want to hear what you think first. I, I mean, I enjoyed the movie overall, as it, as it is. You know, I, I spend ninety percent of my movie time now because I'm ADD, distracted by a phone. But I watched, I watched, I, I watched it about six months ago, just for the first time, and I, and I caught the last twenty minutes because I didn't want to sound stupid when I talked about it today, because I know that's where it all really came down. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I, for the smile for what it was, it didn't really take me out of it. Like I enjoyed it as a trope. Because they had a great social media push prior to the movie with the smile. I don't know if you guys saw like the baseball yeah. games where people were at, where people were just standing there the whole game, smiling with a ridiculous grimace on their face. Um, but uh, I thought it was freaky. I thought it was freaky. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was what it was. It reminded me of the old school stuff. But there was little things like, you know, she goes to her her boy, her ex-boyfriend who was a cop. And she's like, I need you to look up a case. And he's like, come on. She's like, please look up in your police files. And he's like, all right, what's the name? And she's like, Gabriel Munoz. And he's like, okay, no, no other information on Gabriel Munoz. (laughs) Great. Got it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I found him. Here it is. I was like, come on. That guy murdered himself on a a security camera. I I know like three Gabriel Munoz is myself personally. Okay. He would have taken him a lot longer. For a second. I believe that for a second. You know, the the problem is. Let me just say this to the listening audience. If your name is Gabriel Munoz and you are a follower of House of Pod on Twitter, (laughs) DM me. I know zero Gabriel Munoz's. The thing is, I can. I can move past some of those things if it's a movie that I want to enjoy, but there's a part of my brain. It must be a defense mechanism. When I'm watching a scary movie, I'm I'm looking for things that will keep me from getting scared. Like, Oh, <laughs> I, I bet you they did this take like 400 times and it must've been such a fucking clusterfuck when they did it. Or this is what I would have said in that part to make it funny. You know, like I I'm yeah. thinking of those things that are like, they're doing it for me, but it, I, I only had one major, I had one major problem with this movie. Okay. Because it is a good movie, and I do recommend it, I think. But it did something that kind of annoys me, which is like when a horror film tries to pretend it's something much bigger than it really is, it's about deep trauma. It's about this woman's relationship to her mom and the trauma that she experienced and passing that trauma from person to person. And then like she goes through this whole experience at the end where it's like she's facing it. But then at the end, they still have to just twist the knife and give you that last twist and say, oh, no, she's still fucked. Oh, she did all the right things she's supposed to. She faced her trauma. She did all that stuff. She faced her fear. She did that hero's journey that you're kind of expecting the movie. But then they still twist the knife. And then she still ends up, again, spoiler, dying because she can't beat this thing at the end. And I'm like, you know, like if you're trying to make this like a lesson, if you're trying to like (laughs) say this is about trauma and facing your fear, then, you know, do that. Instead of trying to say, okay, here's a sequel that we're going to do for this. We're going to set this up to have an ongoing story or this is what horror audience expect Horror audiences expect something bad like this to happen. You know, I, I like it when horror films don't play to that. I, that's one of the reasons I love it follows because it leaves the ending kind of ambiguous. Did they win? Did they not? You don't really know. It's a really weird situation. And and I thought that worked better in the, than, than, than this. That's, that's, that was my feeling at the end of it when I walked away. 
Are, are you guessing out of hand at the intentions of the people who made the movie that they were trying to make it about, oh, this is the thing that you could do to fix your life? Maybe their intention all along was just to communicate, you know what, it doesn't matter how good a person you are, or a horror movie is about something really crappy happening to you. Well, if, if the lesson of it then is there's nothing you can do about trauma. Yeah, it's a horror there's, movie. There's, there's, no, there's no, 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 because that's the thing. It wasn't just a horror film. Like a horror film is like a, like a slasher killing people. This was about something about, this is about trauma. And they say it multiple times. And all these movies we're talking about are about trauma. And they're saying if this is about trauma, then to me, they're, they're trying to touch on something a little deeper than just your run of the mill. We're going to scare you. Or at least they're pretending that's the case. So like, I, I, I find it too cynical if it comes <laughs> down to it at the end where it's like, oh yeah. It's about trauma, and if something bad happened to you when you're young, you're fucked. You're yeah, never going to get over it. You're never going to get over it. Yeah, I, I liked, you know, to me, it it made me, rem it reminded me of, like, the Nightmare on Elm Street sort of ending where, you know, they they get it, the the, the dawn comes, everybody's smiling, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the girl gets yanked through the, the the door's window, the awful model of the girl gets yanked yeah. through the door's window, like, or, or you know, uh, the, the thing comes up at the end. I mean, it had a, that great the great practical effects scene where she dies and you actually get to see how the smile creature actually kills um, what it really looks like and those types of things, which I sometimes think is a, is a horror movie mistake revealing too much about the bad guy. But, um, but then they made it really fearsome. And, and now you have this knowledge that the, despite all of her intentions, the curse will keep going. So um, I, I just thought like, like this is about a, a, you know, a curse, uh, like a literal curse. It's not going to be defeated by someone saying, okay, I'll go to a cabin and, uh, and not call anybody. It's a curse. I, I just, I liked it. I thought, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of things that keep going and you can't stop it, we're going to take a quick break, do some commercials, <laughs> and then we'll be right back with more of our Halloween episode. Stay tuned. Buy whatever you tell me to buy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, and we're back. Oh, my. Those were delightful ads. Certainly buy those things. Um, all of them. <laughs> so we have uh, two more movies we're going to do. And interestingly, they're both period pieces. And they're both in the it came out in the year 2010. So even though one of these movies seems like it came out in 1963 from a high school production, they actually came out in 2010. Let's start with The Ward from master, master filmmaker John Carpenter. 
the man who brought us the thing, which we've covered on this show uh, on one of the Halloween episodes, which is, I think we can all agree, an amazing movie. It brought us Halloween. Even the vampires was better than this steaming pile <laughs> of turd, the ward. Oh, yikes. It's just an awful movie. It is an awful movie. Mark, can you give us the, the rundown on this one as well? The Ward is a period film taking place in the mid-1960s. A woman named Kristen is brought to a psych ward by authorities after she burns down an abandoned farmhouse in rural Oregon. She tells the admitting nurses that she can't remember anything about her past before that. On the ward are four other women of about the same age, each with a different disposition. Emily is chaotic. Iris is creative. Sarah is flirty and seductive. Zoe is childlike. We learn of two other women who formerly occupied the ward. Tammy, who was killed by an unseen assailant in the opening scenes, and Alice, who has been killed prior to the events of the story and whom the other patients believe is haunting them all and killing them off one by one. All right, guys, what, what did you think? I don't think it was a steaming pile of crap. I think that there is room in this world to, like, instead of just awarding A's and F's, A's and F's, I just think that this movie was kind of a C minus. <laughs> I think that's generous, but okay. What about you guys? I mean, it was fine. I mean, you know, I'm looking at it in retrospect with knowing the twist. Should I spoil the twist now? Yeah, go ahead. So the twist now is Amber Heard's character, uh, the main character of the show. Her name was... Kristen. Kristen. Exactly, but nothing memorable about her. Nothing memorable (laughs) about her. Kristen is actually one of the personalities of a young lady who is in the middle hospital named Alice, uh, who is the ghost in the movie. Um, So looking back in retrospect, honestly, once I found... once I found that it was a split personality story, a dissociative identity story, I hated it a little less. Like the whole way through, I was just finding all ways to be snarky about it. I was like, oh, there's four girls in the whole hospital and they're all hot. Even the one that's acting like a baby is a pretty girl of the, you know, about 25. I was like, what is happening here? Um, but looking at it backwards, I, I mean, I didn't hate it. Would I watch it twice? No, I wouldn't watch it twice. Uh, it had a lot of tropes. It was very, it was kitschy. Um, it was very, it felt very formulaic to me. Yeah. Jesus Christ, you guys are so nice. It's like, do you know the people who made this? Why is everyone being so fucking, this movie was, was it's on on ice. You know the people who made this? The person who made this was John Carpenter. Personally, <laughs> is he going to find name. out? Is he going to find, oh, he, there's a, probably a backstory to this. Like he probably like checked out and had his son direct the whole thing. Or so there's some story I'm sure if we found it's out. It's funny about actually, this. because uh, apparently the his, uh, John Carpenter's wife refers to this as his chick flick. <laughs> <laughs> I I would give it, I would give it like a, a D. I, I, I hated it all. Like, like Steven said, I hated it a lot less when it became about so even though i hate the dissociative identity trope at least it made all of the things that were happening to her less about like you know the the evils of her treatment and more about the fact that you know she's a personality within someone else and so there's there's this back and forth but um but it was it was not i i didn't find the acting particularly good and compelling like there's times where it was supposed to be um like there was supposed to be portrayals of horror that i actually laughed at it um and uh um 
and 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 I, I, I you know at the beginning i was so like oh my god okay it's a scary psych ward they're using ect to punish people they're getting all these mm-hmm. you know injections just because they're making noise you know and, and all this stuff that's just like oh shoot another movie that just makes psych wars look like this yeah 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 no it, it's always funny how they do these ward things in the past it's always like in the 60s yeah, like yeah. it seems like the wards had their heyday in like the 1960s well, you know and i'll be honest because <laughs> reagan know, I, shut them down right i um i still meet with families to talk about starting ect and and a lot of the a lot of the formulations that families have when they start the discussion come from movies like this where it's about like how ect was done in the 60s like the number of times that I'll be asked, like, you know, do you do it to people when they're awake? And I'm like, no, there's anesthetic. It's like a very, like, it's a boring procedure now. Um, you know, with the one flew over the cuckoo's nest is probably the one that people think of the most, but yeah. movies like this, um, I even had a, a patient um, use, what was the, what was the mm-hmm. Zach, Zack Snyder movie, Sucker Punch, I think was on a psych ward um, and, uh, and had a question based off of Sucker Punch. So um, you know, these movies do perpetuate myths that actually do affect patients and actually affect yeah. patient care. I've actually had to like tamp down the, no, 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 we're not going to just inject you in the side of the neck, which is the worst place to inject someone. <laughs> Don't inject people in the side of the neck. <laughs> There's a, a lot of that. And bite on the stick while I shock the shit out of your brain. Okay. I have a question though, as the non-medical person here, is that something that's a myth perpetuated by movies or... Did, were there different practices well, around ECT back in? I mean, like yeah, yeah. that's that's, that's that where these it is. Were period pieces. That's I think that's why they do the period piece because it it makes it you know, yeah. I think it brings it back to a time where technology couldn't save things and it makes it a little bit scarier. But certainly, like the ori- origins of ECT were. Um, you know, like any origins of medicine, it's pretty barbaric stuff. Like you, the origins of pretty much every surgical practice, every, you know, anything, they, they come from pretty bad places. Um, and ECT kind of split off. Uh, there was an original ECT was unmodified, meaning no, no muscle relaxant, no anesthetic. And you can imagine that would be just exquisitely painful. And, and there were lots of broken bones and teeth and all sorts of things like that from, from that, of course, as the science progressed, it became, you know, a medical pr- procedure. So now you're given a muscle relaxant. Now you're given an anesthetic. You go to sleep for it. You, there's very little seizure going on, and you wake up. So um, certainly, it, it has that origin. But I think that the perpetuation of it is it, no one's the no one's shown it, at least as far as I can tell, as it is now no. is part of the problem. Which is like as you said, a very boring procedure that is very like mild. Or yeah. uh, I mean, or should be at least. You know, my major issue with the movie is that it's fucking boring. <laughs> There's a shower scene with like five cute girls and a ghost, and it was Dude. the most boring possible scene you could have. Like, how did you, you got fail like one, there? You got like one half of one side boob in one shot. I was like, if you're gonna like do a dial back to the '80s, I mean, come on, the shower scenes. I was like, oh, here we go, and no. No, it was like made for 2011 audiences or whatever. Yeah. I remember the rated PG-13 movies of my day. Um, you didn't get side boob in oh, a shower. You, you, in you a got horror porkies. movie. You got porky. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It was like, what is happening? Um, uh. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm moved to actually mention uh, this isn't a movie that we watched for this segment, but recently I uh, I went and caught a revival screening of Psycho. Oh, yeah. The original. And the, the uh, good one. That I, one of the comments that I had on it uh, coming away from it is that it's interesting watching a movie uh, like Psycho already knowing not just that there is one major twist but there's actually two um one is that when you go into psycho you at this point probably know the major twist is that uh norman bates is norman mother. bates is actually hit mother but the other thing if you don't know anything about the movie is that you think for the first half of the movie that it's about vivian lee which or uh janet lee janet lee janet lee janet lee janet lee <laughs> janet lee yeah you're the hollywood guy i don't know um and and so when you watch a movie knowing what its twists are ahead of time you put yourself in a position in which you're you you are now watching multiple movies at once you're watching the movie in which you know what the twist is and so you're saying okay here's a person who uh either has psychological difficulties or in the movie uh the case of a movie like the ward the character itself literally is a psychological difficulty uh, and so you're analyzing it from that perspective and you're also watching it from the perspective of, I don't know anything about this. And so I'm just perceiving this as, you know, as the play goes on. But I think when we talk about, uh, when, when we introduce the idea of film quality, is this a good movie? Is this a bad movie into the conversation? We are also watching multiple movies we're watching um you know the movie that we're watching where we're saying oh okay this is all the these are all of the ways in which this film is falling short from what it's trying to accomplish it's boring you know uh the, they're not practicing good medical science there isn't enough side boob in the showers <laughs> for example valid and side boob, no we're saying, okay, what if we were to forgive all of these things and we were to just treat the story as the story and say, like, how, uh, you know, what would it be like to be this person under these circumstances? And there is this thing that comes up whenever you're talking about films that are about uh, people on psych wards, for example, where you say to yourself, what are the innate fears that would be conjured just by being in this experience? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is a really good example because McMurphy doesn't know what's about to happen to him. He's just a dude sitting in a chair chomping down on a mouthpiece. You know, all of the the fear and anguish comes later when he realize he's in, realizes he's in a situation that he can't get out of. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Somebody else who has a medical degree can go ahead. Go. Go. <laughs> No, I when I, the, I I listed some questions that I wanted to ask, but really I was glad Tyler was coming on because I wanted Tyler to give us all the def, the definitive the definitive answer as to whether dissociative identity disorder, as it is seen <laughs> in the you. movies, is a real thing because I know it's not; it can't be. Uh, but what is happening in these patients' yeah. minds that are diagnosed with DID? Yeah, so it's so so. First, you're going to get a lot of answers when you answer, ask a lot of psychiatrists, and and this is actually an area where um, you can actually get yourself into a lot of trouble from commenting on. So I'm going to say what I say. Um, hmm. 
uh, knowing that this is this is something that can actually upset people. But um, first off, the way that dissociative disorder sort of is portrayed, like people have multiple personalities. So that's not the way the brain works in terms of personality disorders, personalities, like personalities are not discrete things. There aren't people living inside us. But what is true is dissociation happens where people lose touch with reality. That is a thing that happens. We see it very famously in people who have PTSD. Of course, there's other forms of trauma that can do it. And any distress really can make you lose touch with reality. Um, there is a whole bunch of people who think that DID is caused by therapists who believe in DID. It's like what we call an iatrogenic condition. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a bunch of people who really, really resent that because they do suffer from the symptoms of dissociation. So the, the strategy I always take with dissociative identity disorder is it's probably really real for the person that is experiencing it, but I've, I've been therapeutically very successful when I encounter people who have, who say they have DID or, or have symptoms of DID of just empathizing with their symptoms and not caring too much about whether or not they're valid and just helping them with what I know to be true, which is if you have less distress in your life, you're going to have less disturbance with your alters or you're going to mm. have or whatever it is, but it's a very controversial topic. Um, I, I come on the side of, I do, I did work in a hotbed of um, when I did some of my training, there was a hotbed of DID. And I know very certain that there was a lot of iatrogenic DID out there um, because <laughs> some people would ask the question and the person would have lots of DID and then the next person wouldn't ask the question and there was no symptoms of concern. And, and um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I think it's probably real. It's probably very rare and it's not the way that personality generally works i am not a psychiatrist so i'm willing to say that i don't believe it's a real thing but i do think there are probably rare cases where people actually not rare at all just like you said disassociating we know like people have fugues all the time that can happen we've seen that we've all seen some degree of that um but it seems like it all happened from back in the 80s with like that story of sybil one yep. story captured the nation's imagination so much. If you guys are under the age of a thousand uh, and not as old as us, you guys don't know. There was this girl who was abused horribly. And because of that, she developed these multiple personalities and it became like a story called Sybil. And then it became a movie with Sally Field. And that was like when it took off. And then it became a, a trope in so many horror films like that did it better than this, by the way, like identity, which, yep. you know, all these other movies where it's always, it's all the same person. It's one person at the end of the day, you find out or like what the, the movie that did it, I thought, I don't know if it was, you know, accurate, but did it in the most entertaining way, which was fight club that did it in like the most entertaining possible way. So, I mean, I, I we don't have to go too much more into it. I'm picking up what, what yeah, Dr. Black say... here is putting down on, on the topic, but yeah. I have a hard time. I have a hard, a hard time believing anything like we see in the movies. Anything I think, close to it could exist. Yeah, and the, the 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 part that I've come to, which I think is really important for us to do, especially in mental health conditions, is to get a little bit less hung up on whether or not something is real. Because when someone's experiencing something that's causing them distress, it's real to them. You know, like I don't get hung up on whether or not someone's psychotic delusions are real or not when they're psychotic. I know in my heart, they're probably not real, but that person is already suffering them. I'm not going to spend right. a lot of time 
arguing them on whether or not right, the, right, the CIA yeah. is following them. I'm just going to help them. And that must be really scary. And I'll, I'll talk to people about how, how fight, frightful they must be because the CIA is following them and how we're going to help them. And this yeah. medication will help you worry about that less and those types of things. So, um, uh, so that's where I, you know, I, I say let's, we probably shouldn't get too much into whether or not it's real and more into distress is real. Dissociation is real. When we help people, their symptoms get less. Um, and I would really like it if people, um, you know, didn't, didn't, I see a lot of therapists who's, who, who do a lot of suggesting in their interview style. I think the best way to interview people is to ask them open-ended questions. What are your problems? What's bothering you? How does that make you feel versus do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? I actually see lots of kids 12, 13, who endorse voices, who don't have any voices, but they've been asked by their therapist so many times, do you hear voices that mm-hmm. when they're in distress, mm-hmm. they'll say, I'm hearing a voice right now that's telling me to do this bad thing. No, they just did a bad thing, but they've been asked about voices so many times that the word voice comes out of their own vocabulary. So we do have to be careful that we don't introduce things to patients. Yeah. And I will tell you as an ER doctor, I see that all the time. I see more pediatric psych cases in the last five, six years of my career where the kids are like, I hear voices and and they tell me all these things. And I'm like, where? And I come out of the room and I was like, where do these kids pick that up? But maybe they pick it up in therapy. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it happens. It's just, it's just pretty rare for kids. And I'll say like, you know what? a lot of times kids will give me voices and visions that are very much, they're clearly influenced from horror movies. Like they'll tell me like, I'm seeing a bleeding woman in the corner of the room, but you know, during the mental status exam, you're spending an hour with them and they're talking to you about they're laughing and they, at no point did they look in the corner of the room and look fearful, which is what you would do if you saw a bleeding woman in the corner of the room. So, so you like the social influences of these symptoms are really strong, especially mm. in young kids. So I do worry sometimes when psychiatric content is portrayed this much in horror movies. And I have seen so many horror movie presentations given by kids where you know that they're trying to express their distress. They really are in distress, but they're giving yeah. you symptoms that are created from, you know, what they've seen versus what they're, what they're experiencing, experiencing. Yeah. That's actually one of the elements that I think makes smile a, a sort of interesting <laughs> is that unlike the other two films, the person who is the object of the haunt is herself a psychiatric doctor. Yeah. And so there are these scenes where you have Dr. Rose Cotter, whose name I totally know, <laughs> uh, conducting sessions or being conducted uh, by her own therapist. And there's a moment that I recall where she uh, attempts to say, okay, this is, you know, I, I met with this patient earlier and then afterwards, these are the things that I, uh, that I experienced. And she, uh, she calls them out as being psychiatric problems. And her doctor even says, let's avoid self-diagnosis. Let's stick with, mm-hmm. you know, just tell me what your direct experience was. And I yeah. wondered whether that was actually, you know, that, that just struck me as, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, a therapist myself. I'm actually the child of a therapist, but it, it, it occurred to me in that moment, like that would be a kind of an interesting thing to, yeah. to, to think of what are the storytelling possibilities of, of, a therapist analyzing another therapist. 
Yeah. Uh, that's what I loved about the movie. And I think, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with patients, you know, and I'm seeing adolescents or, you know, I, I work now at a university and I worked at the university age people, um, you know, you can get really checkboxy with your, with your questions, but the best content, the best engagement comes when you ask people like, okay, let's just tell me how that affected you. Tell me what that was like for you. And, um, and, and I, what I really liked is the realistic way in which the world interacted with Rose and smile. Um, I, I thought, I still think that's one of the standout things about that movie. All right. Uh, let's move on from the ward. Actually, what, one last thing, I'd be surprised if anyone else noticed this, but there was a one scene I didn't understand. The one bright spot is the actor who plays the psychiatrist. He's the British guy from Mad Men. Jared Harris is that his name. I think that's his name. Anyways, he's he's in his office and he's like struggling over the case and he calls somebody and it sounds like it's an important phone call. And he's like, yes, so I need to I need you again for a very difficult case. I need to consult you. And and you think that's like something that's going to come back in the story but it never seems to come out in any way. Did anyone else notice that? All right. No, I guess I'm Rose. I'm Rose here in this situation. None of you guys noticed it. Just me. Okay. Anyways, let's move on to objectively the best film of the ones that we saw. And that is Shutter Island. Uh, Mark, please uh, uh, give us the rundown on this one for people who may not have seen this one yet. Shutter Island is another period film, this one taking place in the mid-1950s on an island off the coast of Massachusetts. A U.S. Marshal named Teddy Daniels and his partner Chuck arrive at Shutter Island to investigate the disappearance of a female patient. We learn that Teddy is a former soldier who was present at the liberation of Dachau concentration camp. We also learn that Teddy has come to the island with the ulterior motive of finding a patient named Andrew Latis whom he believes is responsible for an arson that killed Teddy's wife two years earlier. During his investigations, Teddy suffers from migraine headaches and repeated hallucinations of his dead wife, and it becomes less clear whether Teddy is losing his grip on reality because of sinister machinations on the part of the doctors running the hospital, or whether he never had a grip on reality to begin with. Oh, you're good, man. You're good. That's good. All right. Um, I, I have to say, I never watched this movie before, but I did know the twist because Mark, I think, probably told me a long time ago. First time I ever saw it was so this. It must have been either Wikipedia or something because I knew I knew the twist in this one. And I have to say, knowing it made it a lot of fun, actually, because you clearly, when they made this film, they made it in such a way that you could rewatch it and catch a lot of little interactions, little subtle things between characters like... So again, spoilers, the movie was 2010. I don't feel bad about this, but he is a patient and this has all been an elaborate role play to help him break through and realize that he is actually this guy he's been looking for. He is not this made up character, Teddy Daniels. He is a man who went through an intense trauma, whose his kids died and he killed his wife because she killed them. And he's suffering so much from that he has this break and he doesn't want to be that person anymore, essentially. And so his doctors are trying to help him, Mark Ruffalo and Ben Kingsley. And they're doing their best to try and help him in, which is actually the best depiction of a psychiatrist in in, in almost any horror film or movie I've ever seen. Like they're really going way above and beyond. Like the dedication these guys have to do this is pretty amazing to try and create this huge elaborate role play 
for him to 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 break him out of this uh this this delusion that he has and watching the little interactions are so much fun like when you see like he first gets to the island the guards are all kind of nervous when he's around they're all like grabbing their guns a little more tightly when he's there you notice they're all kind of like being forced to play along with this thing and some of them are more like are, are into it and some of them are like oh this is so fucking stupid why are we doing this it's like i thought it was really well done in that way now again i don't know it, this is the same sort of thing like tyler as a psychiatrist watching this do you just suspend all your disbelief <laughs> or are you finding things in there that you're like yeah that makes sense that could that that sort of makes sense it, an elaborate role play like this could maybe snap somebody out of their psychosis yeah I mean, so so it it comes to one of the first things you think of when you work with someone who has like a full-blown psychosis so you know i i worked I, i've worked with so many patients with psychosis so I'll, i'll give a fictional example someone who's convinced that they have a tumor in their heart um and you know, they have a, a delusion that tells them that there's a tumor in their heart. There is no convincing. Of course, a delusion is a firm, fixed, false idea. There is no moving it. There's no amount of evidence that would ever show it. But your initial instinct, especially when you're a medical student, a resident, or even as a psychiatrist fledging around in it, is you want to prove, you want to show the person, what if I could truly show them that there's no tumor there? Could I help them? You know, like if I could actually reality test it, but then it, it goes to the, 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 the core misunderstanding, which is a delusion isn't that the person is just falsely believing something. The delusion is the illness itself where, where it doesn't matter. The reality is what they think it is. It's like, if I told you everyone here that the sky is actually red, and then I showed you spectrometry that the sky is red. I had all the scientists in the world agree with me that the science is red, that the, the sky is red. I gave you a book that showed that, you know, in the 1800s, people were painting the sky as red. You would still not see the sky as red. And, and so that inclination to do it is it's such a core part of being a sky just what i liked about this is they did this whole role play to try and prove hey let's take him through this and maybe he'll get over his his psycho his psychosis but we really do sometimes really feel like we wish we could just convince the person away but delusions don't work like that and 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 of course that's the the sort of secondary twist of this is it didn't help him it didn't well get... okay well actually let's get to that so disagree Yeah. disagree i i think they fixed him so i yeah. watched it the second time i didn't yeah. see it the first time but i Did think you? that okay. he was him at the end yeah and he chose to be lobotomized rather than live through that trauma absolutely agree i agree i think that's the thing i liked about this none of these and none of these movies had a happy ending but the first two had the dumb jump scare thing that like, oh, you think they beat the the thing and they faced their trauma and they dealt with it. And, oh, no, something comes out of a mirror and grabs them sort of bullshit, you know. So this one, it's not a happy ending, but I agree. I think at the end of this movie, he he is cured, but he doesn't want to live like that. He's like, he doesn't want to live with the memories of his three kids dying because he wasn't an attentive father and the memory of killing his wife, who he really loved because she murdered them. Like that just was too much yeah. for him. And Mark, don't you agree? Don't you think that's what happens at the end of this movie? Yeah, I, I think there's uh, y- y- there's a depressing dip when he's having the, 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 the that it's a great last scene. You know, like he's sitting with Mark Ruffalo, who's Ruffalo, Ruffalo, Ruffalo. I like Hawk. the way you say it, but it's Ruffalo, Ruffalo. 
where uh, there's, uh, you know, he, you know, he sits down trying to, you might have to edit some of this because I have had three glasses of wine and I'm <laughs> through my memories of the flick, but no, I, I, he sits down attempting to, you know, like it's, it's actually the kind of embodiment of the open-ended question that Tyler was talking about earlier, where he just says, how you doing? Giving him the opportunity to, to just describe his experience in that moment. And the moment he refers to him as Chuck, mm-hmm. you're like, oh no, he's back in his delusion. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it happens, you know, it's just an instant you know, and everything is communicated wordlessly. Chuck turns over to, you know, the other doctors and gives them the head shake, like, no, this, it didn't work. It didn't take. But then there's this moment right afterwards where, uh, you know, he says the thing about you, you know. Uh, this place makes you wonder, you, you is it better to die a good man or to live as a monster? Yeah. And and then Mark Ruffalo notices that and he's like, whoa, Teddy? And he's like, and he's like, he's not, he can see that he knows Mark Ruffalo can kind of tell there, at least he's wondering. And then he walks off like to, to go get lobotomized. Interesting basically. that he calls him Teddy, by the way, which isn't. Yeah. His right. Yeah. But he said it with a sort of like, Teddy is, are you still Teddy? But yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, 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 thought, I loved that. I love that. ending, even though it was a bummer, it, it was different to me. I'm just so tired of the dumb jump scare twist after twist at the end where you just know when I watch a horror film trailer. Now I know exactly what's going to fucking happen. When I watched the horror film trailer for smile, I didn't know the ins and outs of it, but I knew basically she'd go through all this stuff. The only thing that surprised me in either of these movies, only two things surprised me in, in, in the two prior movies beforehand. One that the orderly in ward actually wasn't a creep and was a nice guy. In fact, he was like, you know, because like you know, like one of the girls comes up to him and is like flirting with him. He's like, I'm not gonna date you. I'm never gonna date you. As opposed to the creepy orderly who's like sexually abusing them. And at the end, he's like, Hey, I made this for you. I hope you're feeling better. I was like, Oh, well, that's cool. That's a different orderly. Um, and then it smiled. The only thing that the only twist was that the I thought for sure the cop boyfriend would die like in the last scene, but that's kind all it is, is just kind of extended. Cause you know, he's going to eventually die anyways. Cause he died Christmas. three days from then. Yeah. yeah right. the way, there's passed. going to be a smile too. There you I go. But it's going to be about, it could be about this. Well, dude. Smile made almost as much as shutter Island did. So, you know, like it's like, Whoa, <laughs> yeah. did it really? Because yeah. uh, shutter Island was one of Scorsese's biggest yeah. box office draws. Ever. I think, I like think maybe uh, the biggest. I think Shutter Island did almost three hundred million, and I think Smile did two twenty or something like that. So, wow. uh, Smile wow. did that on on uh, I think a fifteen, ten, twelve million dollar budget. They got to two hundred and something. So, well, with the cast of Shutter awesome. Island, I bet you, I, I guarantee you, the budget was higher for Shutter Island. Shutter Island was great. Actually, I went down a, a rabbit hole on something. Do you guys remember the scene? He's having like all these flashbacks to when he liberates him and his. He's in the army, and he mm-hmm. his you know squad liberates Dachau and then they line up the German soldiers after they see the horror that they've done all these dead bodies and then they 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 mow them down so I looked it up it's very controversial there's a lot of different like people have written about this but that probably to some degree happened like Mm -hmm. the question is how many was it like 
30 to 50 was it less but there was some degree of the battalion that went in there is the uh i looked it up the 157th infantry regiment they did go in they saw like 2000 plus corpses and they were just like fuck these guys and they they mowed some of them down so there is some truth to that which is was pretty wild um although there was one thing i noticed you know it was snowing right at the time like the whole scene is set in snow and all the bodies are in snow it yeah. happened in april just so april. you know i'm just saying probably wasn't snowing in real life but whatever i'm not gonna nitpick that magic of film the film yeah. magic i get it i get it. anyways i i thought it was great i liked all the characters coming yeah. in i like how they tried to tie in everything at the end i think they did a pretty good job but it is one of these movies where it's like you walk away and you're like god that that's so interesting how it all tied together but you're like but but why would that have worked <laughs> Would this role play have worked in any way? I can't see a way in which the role play would have worked. And like, it just, it just, it seems like a very smart way to tie it all together um, and to make it make sense. But like, as I thought about later, I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. There's just no way. I don't know a hell of a lot about medical history, but I would say that the less that you know, the more it's an experiment. Yeah. I mean, I did love the characters. I did love like the psychiatrists in that movie were actually like decent people trying to move trying, science forward yeah, trying to do it and yeah, yeah I, I really appreciate that about the I, I, there was a cool like pharmacology point where they they specifically call out the chlorpromazine that he's on that that's actually the reason that he's sort of you know having these symptoms that he attributes to um uh, to being, being drugged or being yeah. poisoned but really it's he's withdrawing uh-huh. from from this medication that they're not giving him because they're trying a different type of therapy mm-hmm. um because apparently the, the, the assumption is he didn't respond to chlorpromazine. And, and so they're, they're resorting to this, you know, form of therapy to try and get him better because he didn't, he didn't um, beat his problem with the medications. So um, that was kind of cool. Does fucking Leonardo DiCaprio ever do comedies? Holy shit. <laughs> Every movie he does is like a, like a tortured guy who you don't know if you like or not. You know what I mean? Every character is like, is this a character I like? Is this a, he's like always kind of morally questionable, but more or less trying to do the right thing at the end of the movie. Like, has he ever been in something? Not like what was, what was he really outside of growing pains? What has he done? That's not like I'm trying to deep, think about trying to think of something that he was in that was going to be that would be a comedy i can't did you guys ever watch him in the quick and the dead Hmm. sam raimi movie he was so fucking good in that movie his death scene in that movie was so fucking that was fast so sad so good so good anyways okay all right let's close up then okay guys this was fun i really appreciate this this was this was a good time this is what i need in my life right now i need more of this shit so thank you guys for joining me for this. Um, let's get some plugs. Steven, where can people find you? What what do you want to plug? Anything? Dude, I have no plugs anymore. I'm at Superman Sings, all one word, at Twitter, but I just post pictures of my new puppy right now, so it doesn't matter. Oh. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My influencer days are over, dude. You're adorable. <laughs> um, I, think I love you. I'll love you no matter what, buddy. Even if you only had three followers, whatever. You'd be my, you'd be my Brian dude. Williams doesn't love me anymore. He's retired, and he forgot about me. You should see if you can get involved with his daughter. That see if like what she's Ooh, up to. Allison. I don't mean like involved, involved. Hey, I'm I married. Mean, like, I've been, I just had my 26th yeah. anniversary like hey, three days ago. Congratulations, buddy. 26 years. I'm old as shit. Listen, dude. I, I don't. I don't mean involved. She would have nothing to do with you in that way. But I mean like. <laughs> 
Oh, it's a project. I, I was just thinking about that scene from the girls where they were like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I just want to mention right now it's 1027 on 1027. Nice. Oh, it's, uh, it's, what do we do with uh, that? One thirty in the morning. I'm here, sorry if people oh, yeah. are like are listening to this two days from now and that's yeah. what screws up the continuity for them. <laughs> They're gonna listen to this. Listen, we're all drunk. Monday. It's fine. Oh my Tyler, God. Tyler, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler, Tyler. Tyler, what about you? Um, I really don't care about Twitter anymore. So if anyone wants to follow me or not, I don't care anymore. I don't know if I'm going to ever tweet again every day I decide I log on or not. Uh, It's a rueful experience. Uh, I'm so glad, though, that I'm able to connect with people that I met there. But uh, it's tough hanging on. Tyler Black 32. But you don't give, don't subscribe to X yeah. or Twitter and don't give Elon any. Yeah, money. fuck you, Elon Musk, you <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> we can agree on that. We can all agree on that. That's even worse than the ward. Um, <laughs> Mark, the ward. Mark what, uh, what about you? I'm not a doctor, but I play one. <laughs> No, I don't. I you, do, uh, you play music. Uh, you play, you play, play music. music. Uh, and you have a horror blog that we should all read. Yeah, uh, I I'll read it. Yeah, there there hasn't been a whole lot of contribution to it because a lot of the guys who contributed to it wound up getting married and having kids and lame. <laughs> you know, life week. Week. But sauce. if you are interested in reading some old reviews that uh i and the fellas have written uh we have a horror blog on blog scott blogspot blog oh does that still exist uh (laughs) yes believe it or not i've contributed to it as recently as a year ago i didn't do it (laughs) but uh, anyway blogspot i have uh, a blog called horrorathon horrorathon.blogspot.com I write under the handle 50 page McGee, which is also, by the way, my Twitter handle. Uh, my writing has definitely gotten better over time. Uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, maybe maybe you could write a new one. Maybe you could write a new one about some of these movies that we discussed today. About hmm? some of these movies. Oh, I might. Uh, I, I might. I want to hear so, about I, I want to hear about your music. Are you are you a practicing musician that makes his living on it? This is absolutely true. I pay all of my bills. I want to hear it. Uh, oh. You are a you. You have won the game, then, my friend. Live in the dream. Live in the dream. Live in the dream. Stephen Sample. My main uh, music participations are: uh, I am the music director at a speakeasy style cocktail bar in the historic core of downtown los angeles it's called the barnet and it's my favorite place on the planet it's my musical living room if you were in los angeles come and see us we have a music program that runs from sunday to wednesday and you will never have a better cocktail what's the the name of the place amazing what's it called the varnish the varnish uh the other thing what kind of music oh it's a jazz it's a jazz bar i mean it's in a oh i love it yeah, it's in a place in a store. It's in the the old Pacific Electric building, meaning that it's been there for over 100 years. The bar was an honest-to-God speakeasy back in the day, meaning there was definitely a time that you would have had to have a password to get into the back room and drink bathtub gin and do the Lindy and escape from the fuzz. Nice, the Lindy. Tunnels leading out of the, <laughs> the back 
and uh, the room is absolutely haunted by sex ghosts that will make you do untoward <laughs> things. Ghostbusters. I hate LA, but I'm coming. Ghostbusters. Yes, it's a great date night spot. Uh, I also am the bassist and one of the vocalists for an indie rock tribute band called the Black Crystal Wolf Kids. But we're a great band. Uh, we play all of the LA beer fests. We uh, we played the we played that this was this was the big notch on our belt. We were the band that played the red carpet event for the release of the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you, you know. and and we can we can follow nice. you at blackcrystalwolfkids.com you have a website this is true this is absolutely following true. you on uh, if you're about to get married or you know and you want to have a really excellent party band play your play your wedding uh we've got our propers we're great mark is an excellent musician i played his songs his his music is the only music that's not my music that has ever been played on this show True. I also am kind of nice related music. that we have spent like the last five minutes talking about me and I definitively do the least important job of anybody in this conversation. Yeah. No, you're the real uh, hero but, here, but, but, You're the real But we hero. would all trade places with you. That's the deal. We'd all trade places. Nah, he works but pretty well. I would. I don't, I don't, I, I'm I, a 50-year-old a year doctor. I'd trade places tomorrow. <laughs> Gentlemen, this is a pleasure. It would be an interesting exercise going back to the beginning of this episode and specifically knowing that Mark and Steven have gotten progressively drunker over the course of this episode. I'm, I'm drunk. our communication choices from beginning to end. <laughs> I'm really listen, curious that. How listen, much my wife's out of town. I just opened a new bottle. <laughs> I love you, man. I miss you. It's Come like back and see me. I miss you too. The one that you don't know they're drunk, and the one that you do. Yeah, exactly. right. We're like mm-hmm. we're like the Shutter Island of podcasts. It's Halloween. Okay. We're not talking yeah. about serious yeah. shit. Every week out. we talk about Palestine and Israel. It turns out that <laughs> there actually there are <laughs> no guests. Week. We're all just parts of of Cave's, <laughs> um dissociative identity. Yes, I am Cave's id. I am the baby with the teddy bear. I am Iris. I'm the one that draws all the pictures and gets killed first. Tyler is the seductive one. Oh, I don't think so. What's the the little girl that held the teddy bear in the ward? I'm that girl. Oh, I got to look this. Oh, no. No, you don't. Notes because I was done speaking all of the things I'd have to do. You don't need. She was the id. Uh, Guys, (laughs) thank you so much. Listeners, have a great Halloween if you haven't already. Uh, Enjoy the season. Boom. Have fun. Watch a scary movie. Let us know what you think. If you agree with all this stuff, thank you to Dean for help with production. If you haven't, rate and review us on iTunes. I really enjoy it. I really, really do. I get a real kick out of it. I really enjoy it when I see a review. So go ahead and do that for me. All right. Love you guys. Welcome back to the house of (laughs) What? This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. And I'm alive.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.